Ding, ding. Patriots-Panthers joint practices goes from football to MMA as fast as any practice I've ever seen. Three fights, a bunch of scrums or scraps or fracases or melees or, you know, whatever you want to call them. We break out all of the synonyms and exhausted them in the media tent over the last 48 hours because, you know what, we had to. It was nonstop pushing and shoving and pushing buttons, um, but it's all over, along with actual football where we learn something about the Patriots and a little bit about the Panthers. But we have to start with the fight because Christian Wilkerson got the worst of this on a arguable blindside block. He was hit from the side in a kickoff return drill. Source confirmed to me today as we record here on Wednesday night. Uh, Wilkerson has a concussion. He's expected to miss some time, likely not significant. He's feeling okay. Um, but he got hit by Kenny Robinson, who was two for two, not in team drills or targets or any pass deflections, but in ejections getting kicked out of Tuesday for basically trying to punk uh, Christian Wilkerson and then today knocking him out. So Robinson at the center of that, Wilkerson at the center of both of these. Wilkerson should be okay. Dietrich Wise, on the other hand, uh, tried to make sure that Christian McCaffrey was not because he was at the center of today, Wednesday's second fight, uh, where he delivered a very late hit out of bounds. And then Dietrich Wise is not only out of bounds, but in the stands, uh, courtesy of a Carolina offensive lineman. So what happened at the end of this is you had three fights, we got a bunch of scrums and eventually things settled down and we had some real football. So settling us down here, as you can tell, the energy from the fights is still flowing here as we close in on 10 o'clock. I have some notes. I want to get to the notes about the football. And that's exactly what we're going to do because I touched base with a couple people inside the team. And I'm happy to report that they did a lot of confirming of my priors about what we saw today. Because number one with a bullet in the football category, setting aside all of the fight stuff. And we might even have one on Friday night when the Panthers play here for their second preseason game is that the offense is settling down. Okay. Mac Jones completed 69.8% of his passes in team drills over the last two days. First of all, nice. Second of all, good work, Mac, because this is an offense that you go back to last Monday and we could talk about last Monday in, in a, you know, extreme terms. It was one of the worst practices I've ever seen, which is true. Or we could talk about it in the context of training camp, which really looking back now feels like a turning point. Because since then, Mac Jones has had much more time in the pocket and much more room in the pocket to operate, which as a guy who's kind of bound to that space and is not going to extend plays, he needs. Unsurprisingly, he's performed very well. And they're allowed to look downfield and complete passes, whether they're going to 11 personnel with three receivers or 12 personnel with two tight ends, even though Hunter Henry missed most of the last two days. Consequently, you see this offense, as I said, settle, but also flourish. Because when you go from the tight ends to the outside, a receiver, Jacoby Myers, eight catches the past two days. Devontae Parker, also eight catches in his best practice as a Patriot. Nelson Aguilar, arguably his best practice as a Patriot today, four catches, including a couple contested grabs in one of the end zone. Tyquan Thornton had six, Ramondre Stevenson had seven. This is how it's going to be for this offense, right? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. There's not going to be a number one receiver. When Nelson Aguilar goes invisible, you need Devontae Parker to step up and vice versa, because Jacoby Myers is going to be steady Eddie, and no one knows what else is going to happen in this receiving depth chart, but there's enough there to make it work, provided you're spreading the targets around, and that's what they've done. So this is still a strength in numbers operation, whatever form that it takes. Again, two very good days for Nelson Aguilar, who, you know, we've heard from players, we've heard from Belichick, we've heard from Mac Jones, who called him like a second quarterback on the field today. There's a difference there with him. I said this in the offseason. The difference for him could be just one or two more long balls when Mac Jones was throwing more inaccurately to him than anyone else in the team downfield. 
Apparently, it's a little bit more than that. For people I talk to, there's a little bit of an attitude adjustment with him. I think there's a comfort within a system that's been tailored better to his skill set. They're going to go downfield, but you can only go downfield when you have time. That's what they've had the last week plus, and that's, I think, not coincidentally, why Nelson Aguilar has flourished. So one name I didn't mention in that whole list of targets and receptions, uh, Kendrick Bourne, because Kendrick Bourne has the fewest catches in team periods, not just today, not just yesterday, the last two weeks in total. And I'm told there's not really any concern there with Kendrick Bourne, who before Jacoby Myers is kind of the steady Eddie of this group. But Bourne has to play better because you can make a very strong argument based on the numbers that I just rolled out there. He's the fourth or fifth receiver right now in this depth chart. And you're only having more pressure from behind with Tyquan Thornton rising up the way that he's produced and gotten better over the last three weeks, being, of course, a rookie player. Now, he rotated mostly with the second team offense. You can look into that sometimes. It's really just one day. And remember that Christian Wilkerson was out, you know, of course, after the uh, concussion and being literally knocked out on the field. So someone had to take those reps. And I think they would rather give them to someone who's going to play and make the roster like Kendrick Bourne versus Trey Nixon, who's really slid back to the back of the bubble. Now, yes, the offense settled down. The passing game looks good. They're spreading the ball out. Mac Jones has time. However, there is some bad news. Um, the offense is settling in a way up front that they're settling and not moving. They're getting stonewalled. The Patriots cannot clear room in the running game. First and most importantly, yes, they're down four offensive linemen, including Isaiah Wynn, who's supposed to start at right tackle. Also, Justin Haran, Yassir Durant has been out for most of the last two days, and Bill Murray. That's going to kind of screw with your second-team offensive line when you've got three guys who rotate or start there um, that are, are not even seen out there on the field right now because the second-team offensive line didn't move anybody anywhere here today on Wednesday. Now, the Patriots only had five handoffs on Tuesday. Today, they were stuffed in about a third of their rushing attempts and team periods, and that's a continuation from what we've seen really in training camp. Some of this is the outside zone stuff, which they're still trying to master. There is some more man concepts like we saw against the Giants, and we talked about these duo plays, which really look like zone because you're getting two double teams right in the middle. That's why they call it duo, and it's easily confused with inside zone. But to step back from the chalkboard a second, there's also a tell like we had with Mac Jones when he was getting frustrated with the protection, right, when he's coming in and – you know, you can you can see he's frustrated talking to the media as, as good as he is and as well trained as he was at Alabama. And last year as a rookie with the media, sometimes you just can't completely hide your feelings. Damian Harris is now the one experiencing this because we talked to him on Tuesday and there was a particular question that said, basically, do you feel you have enough room to run? And Damian Harris, who is a fine, well-oiled, hot running cliche machine as there is, paused and said, that's a good question. You stumped me there uh, because there has been no room. Now, again, there's three weeks. And I think there's an element of this where the Patriots are still trying to decide what they're going to hang their hat on in the run game, what plays it's going to be, the wide zone of the man concepts. But as we get closer to the end of training camp, you need to have those answers. Right now, they don't have the schemes or the players to block them. Next week, if Win and Haran comes back and Belichick described Win as day-to-day, of course, then who among us is not, That'll be really telling because you need to start to get stuff down against a Raiders defense that really doesn't have a whole lot of talent outside of its two ends, Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, or more pass rushers than run defenders. So next week, as much as this was a big week, is going to be even bigger, particularly for the run game. Okay, second takeaway off the defense. Jalen Mills. Hello. <laughs> this is a completely new player 
it seems, even for a guy we again talked about in this podcast, had a really strong second half of the season. Mark Daniels detailed it. We had him on for bold predictions. I wrote about it in the middle of the season. They're making the zone turn. You don't get to be a top two defense, which they were by points allowed per game last year, just with one corner. You need the other guy who's inevitably going to see more targets hold up his end of the bargain. Jalen Mills did that as well as anyone, even dating back to week four against the Bucs, as I mentioned, facing Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, and Mike Evans. It wasn't J.C. Jackson that played best in that secondary. It wasn't Jonathan Jones. It wasn't Devin McCourty. Jalen Mills balled out that night, and that's what he's doing now. And I know it's not a high bar in that cornerback room, but you tell me if you're impressed by a guy who has broken up more passes than he's allowed caught on him because Jalen Mills had five pass breakups, including deflections and an interception he had today of Sam Darnold on a long ball that was supposed to go to D.J. Moore. D.J. Moore, who also might be having Jalen Mills in his nightmares tonight, which, probably very brief, probably a little benign, but nonetheless, D.J. Moore is a guy who's used to getting his targets and getting his way, three straight 1,000-yard seasons. Jalen Mills shouldn't be shutting him down, and yet he is. And just like the continuation of the run game being a problem in camp, and again, the truth is in the trends, Mills has been playing very, very well. And D.J. Moore was the best receiver that he's seen in all of camp, and he had no problem with him today. Mind you, that's also a DJ Moore catching passes from Darnold, um, the corpse of Cam Newton last year, PJ Walker, Will Greer, uh, Teddy Bridgewater was in there somewhere, and Kyle Allen. So this guy produces with a number of different bad quarterbacks, but not when he runs up against Jalen Mills, who also beat him in one-on-ones today. Um, so three pass breakups Tuesday, two on Wednesday, including the pick. Jalen Mills looks like a number one corner. So the reason that's important is, of course, you want a number one corner. I'm not saying Jalen Mills is already a number one corner, but if you're calling him anything less than a number two, I think you should go to the tape or you can't come to practices anymore. Because in the bigger picture, Mills being a starting caliber corner, one, two, whatever you want to call it, is really the first and a non-negotiable step for this defense overperforming. And what we learned this week from Adrian Phillips is every time that Jalen Mills is stepping out of the field, He's saying championship defense because it hit him in OTAs the way they were communicating and moving, that that's a possibility for them. I think we should all have our doubts about that, just given the talent around Jalen Mills. But in order to have a firmed up secondary, you need to have one corner at least doing his job on that side. So even if you need to tilt coverage to the other side, whether it's Terrence Smith or Jonathan Jones, you can do that and trust that in the boundary, Jalen Mills has got this and so far that he has. So we're going to need to see more from Jonathan Jones, who we're going to bring up a little bit later, or Terrence Mitchell or Jack Jones. But that first step, being able to, quote, unquote, lock down, maybe not lock down, but, you know, he's he's firmed up one side of the field. That's starting to happen. You're getting the best of Jalen Mills, who's gotten some good coaching here to fix his main problem in Philadelphia, which was deep balls and biting on double moves. They worked through that last year. He's able to hone all of his different techniques now. I think that's really paying off. Um, let's just get to Jonathan Jones right now, because I had a couple other defensive notes. Jonathan Jones has been playing in the outside for basically the last 10 days. I don't think this is an experiment so much as the coaching staff really trying to will this into existence because Jonathan Jones is 5'10 on a good day. And other teams are taking note of that as we saw DJ Moore, you know, moss him for a touchdown today in the red zone. And the Patriots themselves have gone after him with Mac Jones throwing out of three straight times in a red zone drill earlier this week. The problem is, you know, that height is going to show up most in places like the red zone where you have guys like even Devontae Parker, six foot two, six foot three, winning jump balls against him. And Devontae Parker, as good as he's looked in particular days, is not even a Pro Bowl caliber receiver. So how long can Jonathan Jones hold up as someone who's five nine 
on the outside. And there's a history of this. You can go through, you know, Ellis Hobbs or a number of different Patriots corners, but you need to have some faith that he can guard against those bigger receivers because you're going to see them all over the place. And that's something that Jonathan Jones can work at to a degree. But at the end of the day, at the end of the game, you're still five foot nine. And I think that's something to watch for here because if it doesn't work out, then he'll have to go back into the slot where Marcus Jones has been a star and not a star as in a synonym or a name for that slot defender, but he has been outstanding. He had a pass breakup today in team drills. He had an interception that he tapped to himself and then caught along the sideline. Like this kid gets, this kid can ball. This is one of my favorite, most, you know, the easiest evaluations. You just watch and say, I don't need to see much more. Okay. Now he's also a guy that suffers from what John Jones does. Uh, Marcus Jones is five, eight on a good day. In the slot, that matters less. You're facing quicker receivers, smaller receivers, and he was very good with the ball in the air in college. It's going to be different in the NFL, but so far in the NFL, he's hold up, held up okay. And if Marcus Jones can do that, that will at least unlock Jonathan Jones to play in the perimeter. If that doesn't work, you can bump him to safety. And the way the Patriots have been rotating their defensive backs, they're relying a lot on that this year, where we can hide our pieces a little bit here and there like they tried to do with Miles Bryant for most of last season. But when you can identify who's covering the slot or is going to rotate back into being a post safety or maybe move into the box, that creates another hesitation for an offense trying to determine what the coverage is and what your matchups are, because that's ultimately what the football, what the passing game is going to come down to is matchups. So they can move them around. They can hide a couple of guys, but it has to start with someone doing their job. Jalen Mills is done on the outside. Marcus Jones so far is holding up on the inside. As for the pass rush, the other part of that pass defense um they went from 60 to zero here in joint practices you had Matt Judon and Dietrich Wise each with two sacks on Tuesday okay Christian Barmore got in the backfield and blow things up uh Josh Uche even Justin Bethel little special team ace Justin Bethel little because he's again like five foot nine in a good day they were flying around with all these zone pressures today Wednesday they had zero sacks until Carolina's last two-minute drill with a ton of different third stringers. And here comes LeBron Ray around the edge to save the day and crush. I couldn't even tell you his name. It's written down here somewhere. Um, the Carolina's third-string quarterback. He wears number 11. So this isn't unexpected for a pass rush that, like it was the last two days, just kind of hit or miss, and particularly when Matt Judon was a miss. Um, but this is something to watch because, like the receiving group, you're going to have days where certain pass rushers just don't show up. And you need that strength and numbers to come through because there's not a whole lot of that's my number one, that's my number two pass rusher kind of talent like you don't have a receiver. This is going to have to be, we amplify our own strengths with running stunts and games and certain matchups that we can generate where you have Matt Judon against a weaker tackle and wrecking games like he did basically all by himself out in Los Angeles when they beat the Chargers. So I think Uche and Barmore, who got smoked today in one-on-one pass rush, um, are going to have better days, but it's it's not set in stone that Barmore makes the year two leap. Josh Uche becomes a player that we all expected, and then they join Matt Judon in the pass versus okay because all of them came down today, and they crashed on hard, and it's just one joint practice, but this is still an up-and-down unit. Um, in between them, lastly, Mac Jones, man. It, it, it would be Mac Jones. Mac Wilson, another Alabama Mac. It would be ideal, in my view, if he can beat out Raekwon McMillan. So we run down some more defensive notes because not, it's not that Raekwon McMillan has been poor at that spot. He's been running regularly with Juwan Bentley at inside linebacker, but Gerard Mayo on Monday expounded upon something Bill Belichick said last week in pregame of the preseason opener was that the speed at linebacker that Mac Wilson and Cameron McGrone 
have might unlock some more coverage flexibility. What Mayo said was we can play certain personnel groupings if those guys are out there against bigger personnel groupings on offense or smaller ones. Like we don't have to match personnel and shuffle in and out or sometimes you know you saw last year 12 men in the field penalties or busting coverage over the middle or assignment mix up like you just can't have that if you keep the same guys in the field and they're also versatile that's when you can just roll out and run and play and play faster which is what they want to do mac wilson was flying around both of these days he's mostly played dime linebacker where they go to their bigger dime look and he's the one linebacker in the middle he would have he, he was on the good end of a couple of hospital balls here in seven on sevens and 11 on 11s. It's just, we're not going to see that consistently. I think until he shows up with his instincts, like Ray Quan McMillan has, because that's what you're going to have with the Patriots and inside linebacker. They value those instincts. You go back from good players to average players to Patriots hall of famers. That's what they want in the middle to be a step ahead of the action, particularly when you're that close to line of scrimmage. And that's why Juwan Bentley's not going anywhere. You might clamor if you don't like Juwan Bentley to get him out of there because he's slow-footed and this and that. But as we've also covered, he, his instincts are there. He's going to be there on early downs, even when Christian McCaffrey takes him on a wheel, rate, wheel round all the way to the end zone like he did on Tuesday. But if Mac Wilson can pair with him, you unlock a lot more coverage flexibility where you don't have the asset of Juwan Bentley. You can play zone, you can play man, you can play the same groupings like we've seen Juwan Bentley stick sometimes in dime and rush that way, no matter what the situation is. And that's also because Cameron McCrone is not coming in to save the day. His hype train has slowed to a crawl. You've got a bunch of uh, caution tape around it because we don't know when that thing is getting up and running again. He's running exclusively with the third team defense and sometimes on special teams. But Mac Wilson right now, I think as you watched him in the preseason opener fly around, that's what he can do. That's him at the peak of his powers. The Patriots would benefit from that. He just needs to earn, in my view, a little bit more trust from the coaching staff. Okay, number three, which is really probably three and a half like that. We just went through the defense. And as far as Jalen Mills, we went to pass rush. So just call this four, four and a half. Hey guys, just a quick break to remind you that Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager in all your favorite sports contests and events with first to market odds and line. I know you've got a lot of different options out there, but stick with betonline.ag. You can find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball. NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf with the futures. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in game betting, props, and futures. So head on to Bet Online today or use your phone or iPad or whatever you have just to join today and make your first bet with the promo code CLNS50. That's CLNS50 for a 50%, 50 whole percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Let's go back to offense. Do not sleep on Bill Belichick calling plays. And I know this is a question that's been framed a lot around Matt Patricia and Joe Judge because they were the guys that called plays in the preseason opener on Thursday night. Bill tells me it's a process. Don't worry about it. I'm sorry, Bill. From time to time, I can be an anxious person. We got to figure out what's going on here. People at home, they want to know. And what I've consistently heard about the offense, and you can find this in public transcripts, and videos online of players talking about this or conversations that have had privately. This is Bill Belichick's offense. It's his design. It's his vision. It's him talking to Mac Jones and the receivers and the offensive linemen at different times of camp. Mac Jones is the one who first told us this is his vision publicly. And he was involved in play calling late in Wednesday's practice during a two minute drill. And you could say, well, Matt Patricia was calling the plays, you know, in earlier periods. And that's true. 
But the two-minute drill matters a little bit differently in a way that's really important to this conversation. And any sort of prediction you want to throw out there, which if you wanted to predict that Bill Belichick is calling plays week one, I might get right behind you. I'm not there yet, but here's the thing about two-minute. Those plays are not scripted like you do have in earlier periods where the Patriots know they're going to run you know, certain pass concepts and they're running them against certain defenses and they want to see how they work and how the defense reacts and the offense fights through it. This was... You're calling plays on offense as the Patriots against the defense and the Panthers that you don't know what they're calling. That's not scripted. And that is the most valuable experience here for a play caller going into week one. Something that's live, something that's unpredictable, something that's against a personnel that you don't know as well. The Patriots didn't scheme or game plan or really thoroughly prepare for the Panthers. Yeah, they knew enough to try to go out there and do a job. But part of this is just roll the ball out and let's see what happens with different matchups and see who can win and rely on your own technique and your own development, all assignments and all that stuff. So when Belichick is taking over in that moment and taking that experience for himself, he's also taking it away from Patricia and Joe judge. And now let's stay with Patricia and Joe judge for a second. Patricia called plays for the first quarter. It was him and Brian Hoyer. And that was it. What he's going to be doing on Sundays, like he has been during training camp is also coaching the offensive line, the largest position group, on the team. And as Michael Lombardi has said before, it's really hard to envision Matt Patricia being in charge of the largest position group on the team and calling plays, considering there's a lot to go through when the offense comes off the field. You need to fix any sort of protection issues. You need to fix any sort of rotations that you might have due to injury. If the run game's not going well, any communication problems, he needs to be there at the center of it. And what happened on, on Thursday when the offense came off the field He's going over to talk to Mac Jones because you know what? That's what he, he needed to do as a play caller. But that left David Andrews coaching up the offensive line by himself for long stretches. And yes, there's Billy Yates, assistant offensive line coach. But Billy Yates has not been at that job for very long. Billy Yates was also passed over for the offensive line coaching job when Carmen Brasillo left and Bill Belichick handed the keys to Matt Patricia. So that cannot sustain through 17 games of the regular season. Matt Patricia turning his back to the offensive line which consists of almost half of the offense, five of the 11 players in the field, even if he's talking to the quarterback, because Mac Jones is a pocket-bound guy, is not going to go anywhere if his offensive line can't provide some protection. So that leaves Joe Judge. Joe Judge, between him, Belichick, and Patricia, is the only one without play-calling experience. And that's if you want to kind of fudge it, as Patricia's experience counts as a defensive guy. But we've heard Mac talk today about the quarterback and the play-caller need to be on the same page. And I'll, I'll just read you the quote, and then we'll follow up with what he said just before this. Mac said today, quote, I think the really good offenses in the NFL, you can tell that the play callers and the quarterback are on the same page. So I think we're getting there, and that's the progress we need, and I've been really pleased with that. Now, Joe Judge is not really called plays from Mac Jones dating back to the spring, unless you want to count seven on sevens, which are not really competitive live simulation. They're important drills, but it's been Matt Patricia. And if Matt Patricia is going to be busy with the offensive line, it's hard to build that sort of chemistry. And maybe, maybe they do let Matt Patricia turn his back on the offensive line during the game day. But what I think the most likely scenario here is because Bill Belichick has laid out the vision. He has been coaching actively in offense. He has basically turned his back to the defense throughout all of training camp is that he's the guy speaking with Mac individually during the week. As we know, Belichick did with Brady every Tuesday. Belichick is a guy who, yes, has a defensive background, but approaches football holistically. He sees offense, defense, special teams inseparably intertwined and affecting one another. When he says, 
I want to go play the game this way when they're rolling out game plan meetings on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday for the players. He says that in a way that's going to affect all three phases. Okay. It's not a game plan just for the defense and the way he's handled the offense communicated with Mac Jones coached him literally on the sideline and the way that his play calling history, even if it's 30 years old, you need to dust that tape off before you pop it in the 92 Browns offense. If he's not calling plays, you prevent teams from looking into his patterns and habits during the preseason. And if you protect his identity going into one, you prevent them from looking at that Browns tape. And you might say, what are you talking about? There's no value in that 30-year-old tape. That's a fair take. But you know a person who might bother to dig up 30-year-old tape to look at a coach he's going to see week one? Bill Belichick. So I think Belichick would, would serve himself or think he's serving himself by not identifying himself as a play caller or the offensive coordinator. When in reality, from the people I've talked to behind the scenes, and again, people you've said publicly, this is Bill Belichick's offense. And one of those quotes was something Mac Jones said right before the quote I just gave you. Because it might sound like Patricia's the play caller. However, from Mac Jones about the offense making progress the last 10 days, quote, I think we laid our foundation of what we want to do, what the coaches want to do. We definitively bought into that, or we've definitely bought into that. There's things that I've done in the past. There are things that I like, and we're trying to incorporate them more, or things that Coach Belichick sees on film. He's like, hey, what do you think about this? So it's very fluid, and for them to be able to take some of our thoughts is really important. Belichick is the first coach that comes into Mac Jones's mind as he says that. Maybe because Bill Belichick is the one he's most in contact with. Maybe because it's Bill Belichick in charge of the whole offense. Maybe it's because Bill Belichick will be the play caller as he was for a very key stretch of Wednesday's practice. And you might say any one of these pieces of evidence is a stretch to pull out and say Bill Belichick is definitely going to be the play caller. That'd be fair. I'm not saying that. But the first thing is don't sleep on this because I think the one person most experienced and best positioned to do this is Bill Belichick. It's going to be his offense. Who better to run it than the guy who built the system, picked the quarterback, and is now coaching him individually and taking his feedback as they make progress. All right, last thing uh, before we get to the mailbag. Players to watch. You're going to have a whole list of these Thursday and Fridays. We get ready for the preseason. There really aren't that many wrong answers because it's a preseason game. You've got to watch players on the field. So what I would say, though, for this matchup, and it goes back to the running game, which we talked about before, Roughly a third of their handoffs got stuffed today against the Panthers. It's not been good in the preseason. I don't think they're settled on an outside zone game being what they're going to major in versus maybe some man block stuff or a hybrid of them. Watch the O-line because they have to start generating room up there, not because they need to establish the run to set up the passing game, but because you just have to win at the line of scrimmage. You can't play offense and succeed if you're losing there and only doing it half the time in pass protection. And yeah, they're down a couple of guys, but we need to see a little bit better play from Cole Strange who got worked at times against the Panthers. He's a rookie. It's going to happen. But we can sit here and say he's a rookie, or we can acknowledge something that's going to be truer the season goes on. He's a starter, and he needs to play like one. So just watch the offensive line. The ball You're going to find the ball. The camera's going to bring you there. But watch up front, because that will be the biggest tell as to how this offense is playing, just as it's been the last 10 days when they've started to make progress. It's because they've been giving Mac Jones some protection. Number two, Mark Jones. Um, again, he can unlock this whole secondary as much as Jonathan Jones can. Again, if Jonathan Jones can play in the outside, that's great. You still need someone to cover the slot. If Marcus Jones can't do that, well, Jonathan Jones probably gets pulled back into his old spot. 
and vice versa. But Marcus Jones is a player who we don't know as much about. Okay, Jonathan Jones is probably going to do a solid to above average job at either spot, and certainly in the slot, which he's done the last few years. But if Marcus Jones can keep up with these ball skills, which would be unprecedented for the last 10 years, where there's only been one corner, 5'8 or shorter in the NFL, to record multiple pass breakups in a season, that gives the Patriots options. It gives them coverage flexibility. And this is a guy who Devin McCourty said has been kind of, you know, following him along, sitting next to him in all these different meetings, almost like a puppy dog. That's what you want to have from a guy who was already touted as being a very smart defensive player and versatile one with great ball skills. He's 5'8", but if he can lock down that spot, see how he does in the slot against the Panthers receivers because he'll be facing a backup quarterback, sure, but that's it's a better quarterback than normal when you have guys like Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield maybe being the backup this year. Um, the last one here for me, we'll go back to the pass rush, and we had a good debut from Josh Shane and Anthony Jennings. So far, those guys have been rotating in as kind of a third down package in addition to Judon, Barmore, you know, pick your linebacker, Bentley McMillan, or Mac Wilson and Dietrich Wise. I think of that group, Uche and Jennings are going to get the longest run. You got to keep seeing more production from them because we're doing kind of the post-hype sleeper here for guys on the roster. Jennings is at a great camp. Uche certainly flashed in the opener. You got to be consistent because we've we've been down this road before, and I'm happy to, to speak this into existence. I, I think Josh Uche is still a player who can be better in reality than he's been in theory, which is a problem for him that goes back to Michigan where he wasn't even playing 50% of the snaps. But if they can get that pass rush, that'll mollify some of the issues they have in the back end. So O-line, Marcus Jones, and the two guys on the edge, Anthony Jennings and Josh Uche. Now, did I mention Josh Uche and Anthony Jennings because we have a mailback question about them? Maybe. Um, this one is from Dave on Twitter. Dave says, I keep hearing that one side of the edge, meaning the defense, is going to be Judon backed up by Jennings, who's having a strong camp. Then the other side is a big question mark with Uche inconsistent as ever. Ronnie Perkins is ineffective, maybe Bentley at, at the line. Why not just put Jennings on the other side? Well, and this probably falls enough because uh, on us as media, because Dave, I think you respond a lot to the podcast and to, and to me on Twitter. The way the Patriots have been playing their base fronts is there's only one outside linebacker, and that has been Matt Judon, who has primarily been backed up by Anthony Jennings. The other side is a defensive end, and that's been Dietrich Wise. Or when Dietrich Wise gets kicked out of practice, it's Henry Anderson. So that's why you're not hearing a whole lot of that, and that might not seem to kind of link up in your head. But because, you know, again, the Patriots typically have both ends who can drop or they can rush, or, you know, sometimes they play man depending on how they're they're covering the back in a certain call. Anderson and Dietrich Wise, whether you like to hear this or not, have dropped a couple of times here in training camp into short zones. So you'll see them stay pretty consistent side to side of that defense. But of course, that's always going to be in concert, marrying their coverage with the front. So I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's just important to note that when we start talking about the opposite edges of the defensive front, it's not two outside linebackers. This is not a traditional three, four front. It's not a two, four, five. Okay, you're really looking at the defensive end at one side and an outside linebacker at another. Uh, next question. Speaking of defensive fronts, two four fives or four two fives. this comes from, I don't know how to say the handle on this. This guy did the handle is the same as his name. EBIT, E-B-I-T, dad one via Twitter. Can you see the patch running a four two five with Duggar in that cash role? I think he means the money linebacker, which is typically more of a coverage position. Uh, Dave uh, EBIT dad feels like this is possible. He put it in parentheses or maybe some positionless defense utilizing speed oversize. Okay. Hit on a couple of different things there. Some scheme stuff with the four, two, five, some different positional terms. Um, 
Dad, I would just say that, yes, the Patriots are emphasizing speed more defensively, but they're not going to sacrifice what has long been a Bill Belichick tenant of his defense dating back to the 80s and that they want to be a little bit bigger because at the end of the day, you can't fake size and physicality. And that's why Juwan Bentley still has a home in the middle of this defense, as do two tackles over 300 pounds in the middle, and then they try to get flexible on the outside. So they will play a lot of dime defense, meaning six defensive backs, often three safeties with three corners. I think we'll probably see some four safety looks at this point. And that's what I mean by emphasizing speed. It's a little bit of the personnel, like you talk about 425 as a nickel package. It's also where you put them. It might be a safety in the box, like we've seen a lot from Kyle Duggar, but they're going to rotate guys in there. It's going to depend on the opponent and the scheme. And honestly, sometimes just who's healthy, because we've seen Jabril Peppers come back into the picture. He's had a good week at camp, um, despite throwing a lot of punches today that somehow didn't get him kicked out of practice. So it's all of those things, but I wouldn't focus too much on Kyle Duggar or one position or one alignment. It's really everything tied together, which sounds like a boring coach speak answer. But the way you ended this question about speed over size, there has been a little bit more pull towards that. And I think that's just a reality of the Patriots going, this is what football is nowadays. All right, Jonathan via Twitter. Um, offensively, Andrew, when will Bills finally switch back to the old scheme? Do we have to wait until the real games begin where they suck? Someone's been listening to Felger and Maz and lose to Miami and Pittsburgh. Oh, and two already. This, this really sucks. I was looking forward to going to Miami uh, and hanging out on the beach, but no, again, I, I think part of this, maybe all of it falls on the media for the way that we've been framing this discussion around the offense. It's a new scheme. It's a Shanahan offense and all this different stuff, but I've been pretty consistent the last few weeks on this. And I don't think I ever fully committed to speaking for myself about this new Shanahan offense. Okay. What they're doing is marrying a lot of the old concepts with some new stuff. And this goes for the running game, where they're more emphasizing the outside zone, which has always been in the playbook, versus some gap runs that they used to major in, okay? And then the protection schemes to set everything up on offense have been a mess. They started to fix those and change them. It goes for the terminology. The pass game is largely intact. Now, the passing game that gets affected most by this new scheme is going to be the play-action stuff, which, as I noted in the last episode, the Patriots ran excuse me, zero snaps of play action. And part of that is because the Giants were just smashing the blitz button over and over and over again. You don't want to get your quarterback killed, but also because that's something they haven't unveiled yet. And that play action game is going to be married or it'll have the same appearance as all of their new runs, like the outside zone that they're emphasizing. And they're going to build off of that. So they're not going to fully switch back to the old scheme. But what they will do is change their emphases depending on what's working and what's not. That's a process that goes all the way through the end of the season, as you might remember from the 2018 Super Bowl run. That became more of an I-formation running offense. When Josh Gordon gets suspended for the year, you're down to Gronk and Element as viable threats. And that's what they did. They ran behind those guys and used Gronk as a blocker, you know, as much as they ever had and won a Super Bowl. So it's not going to go all the way back. They streamlined and simplified this offense for a reason, for a good reason. And it's also because the Bills kind of mastered that old offense where Brady threw four touchdowns and five picks against Sean McDermott's defense. And the Patriots hadn't thrown a touchdown pass against it before the playoff game until Brady's last game, December, 2019. They went December, 2019 to January, 2022 without a touchdown pass against the Bills. I probably would throw out some of that pass offense too. Okay. Last question. Jake on Twitter wants to know uh, pound for pound, better brewery Lagunitas or Sierra Nevada. I went to the Sierra Nevada uh, brewery down at Asheville, which was like a freaking castle back in last November. It was great. As for Lagunitas, 
I don't have much to say. So I think Sierra Nevada wins by default here. Uh, I would love to sample some more Lagunies and give you a more definitive answer. We like to do our research here on Pat's interference, but the bottom line is uh, Sierra Nevada was great. Highly recommend going to Asheville any time of year, but particularly in October, November, where, look, we we might not want to hear this, but their foliage in the fall uh, not only holds up to ours, but some of those rolling hills and a beer in your hand, you might be seeing uh, a little bit better foliage than we have up here in New England. Okay, all right, we're talking about leaves. It's late on Wednesday night. We have football coming Friday night, Patriots, Panthers. And he's a, a roster projection. Uh, last episode, we are going to do that after the preseason game. It'll probably be a mix of takeaways and looking ahead big picture because next week we have Vegas. I will be in Vegas for joint practices Tuesday and Wednesday. They have a game against the Raiders on Friday night, and then it gets to be crunch time. Cut down day, everything. So we'll get you prepared for that as opposed to just dumping all the roster projections right as we get there. But look, we've done another solo episode. If you like what you heard, take a second, Apple, Spotify, just give us a rating, give us some feedback, some review, what you like, what you don't. Uh, we're lining up a couple more guests as we have here. ESPN Seth Wickersham is going to stop by and we're going to zoom out and do something totally different than preseason football or training camp. So um, if you have any other guests you'd love to see on the pod, I know we're going to bring back some old ones soon. Plus Seth, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Until then, don't get into any fights at work, please, okay? <laughs> <laughs>